There you go. Matthew 28. I just want to read uh, verse 20, uh, the very last verse in the book of Matthew. It says, Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. <clears throat> and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I was uh, reviewing <clears throat> this week a commentary in preparation for the message on the Lord's Day, Lord willing, finishing up Jesus' commission here. And uh, there was a little statement in there by D.A. Carson that caught my attention, and it grabbed my heart. <clears throat> and I typically, if it grabs my attention and grabs my heart, then usually... Uh, I take that to mean this is what the Lord would have us to do, especially on a Wednesday night. I already had something else that I was going to do, but this grabbed my heart. And so I want to speak on this tonight. You'll note in verse 20 that the command is to be teaching them. The them would be the disciples, the gathered disciples, teaching them to be observing everything that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. So the Lord is with the church always, even to the end of the what? Even to the end of the age. And we talked about Jesus' authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And the whole book really is permeated and infused with examples of Jesus' authority. And one of the messages that I did on verse 18, I think I had about 30 illustrations from the book of Matthew of different instances where Jesus exerts his authority. And of course, immediately would come to mind that he has authority over demons and over devils, does he not? Matthew chapter 4, he even has authority over the devil. And thanks be to God for that. Uh, but the first place that it's explicitly stated about his authority is in Matthew 7 verse 29, which is concerning his teaching. He taught the Sermon on the Mount, and the people walked away with, I assume, all different types of uh, come-aways from that sermon, but one, the consensus was this is a man who teaches with authority, not as the Pharisees and the religious people of that day. So his teaching was authoritative. I do think that's instructive in a day where people do not want authoritative teaching. Secondly, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, Jesus says that he heals this man and he says what he says so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. So here's a man, God with us, who has the authority, not just in his teaching, but he actually has the authority to, to forgive people's sins. The only way that could be is if he's who? God. If he's God, because only God has the authority to dismiss sins because sins are all a transgression against God. Then in Matthew 21, verses 23 through 27, Jesus goes in and he cleanses the temple and the religious leaders of the day asked him, 
By what authority are you doing this? And of course, Jesus said, well, let me ask you a question. Was John the Baptist preaching? Was it from heaven or was it from men? And of course, that put him in a bind. And he ended up, they said, we can't answer you. And he says, well, I'm not going to answer you either. But we all know where his authority came from. His authority came from God the Father, or we could just say he has authority because he's God in human flesh. But here he's authoritative in his teaching, he's authoritative to forgive sins, and he's authoritative over the temple. Just like he's authoritative in Matthew 28 over the church. The commission given to those men, those men delegating that commission, not to an individual like a pope, but commissioning it and delivering it to the churches. Now, here in Matthew 28 and verse 20, we see that his authoritative teaching, all of his teaching is authoritative, not just the Sermon on the Mount, but his authoritative teaching was to be taught to gather disciples. And you'll see that in verse 20. Teaching them, that's plural, and you may want to put a line between them to make disciples, teaching them to be observing all that I commanded you. And of course, when someone says, I commanded you something, you immediately think, authority. Only authority can command somebody that way. So his authoritative teaching was to be taught in order for his gathered disciples to obey. Everybody see where I'm, I'm getting this from? And it was to be done in the church until when? Until the end of the age. Okay, and that word age is singular. Now what this tells us in 2023, soon to be 2024, what this tells us is that his authoritative teaching is the content that is to be taught. All that I have commanded you. So his authoritative teaching forms the content that is to be taught and it is his authoritative teaching the content not only to be taught but the content is to be obeyed. And that's really the definition of a disciple. Remember our definition, a learner follower. Okay, not just a learner, but a learner follower. Okay, everybody everybody follow me on that because this is going to lay the foundation the next three observations that I want to give and then a couple of subpoints under the last one. Here's the first thing I want us to consider that I think would be helpful. If this content all that Jesus commanded. If that is the content, then it is the content that would be true under every generation. In other words, it doesn't matter if the Roman Empire is in existence and you have a Colosseum 
They had gladiator fights and chariot races. It doesn't matter if it is in the 1800s in America. It doesn't matter if it's in the mid-1900s and now instead of horses we have cars. It doesn't matter if there's television, phones, internet, airplanes, computers. Everybody following me? It doesn't matter what's going on in the culture. That content is an everlasting content that is to be taught in every generation. Because we're to be teaching them to observe all that I commanded you even to the end of the age. And folks, you know, you know that today they're saying that the Bible is outdated, that we're living in a new day, all these old things aren't applicable anymore. But I want you to know, and I want myself to know, that that is a direct contradiction to what Jesus said. His content is relevant every generation. It's not to be changed. It's not to be softened. It is relevant no matter if you're in a race car or an airplane or a fighter bomber, it doesn't matter if you've got all the computers in the world all over you. It doesn't matter if you now wear clothes that sense your body temperature and adjust the clothing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about all the trinkets of the world. His content is everlasting. And it is to be given in every generation. And folks, if that is true, if His content is everlasting, then we know exactly what the church ought to be doing. Our church should be doing the exact same thing that was going on in the apostolic days. There should be that tie-back. The brethren in apostolic days should be being taught to observe just like we are to be taught and observe. And we are to be taught and to observe the same content. And folks, if it is the same content, if it is the everlasting content, then that demands that a church give itself to what we title today expository teaching. Everybody follow that. We don't get to decide what we want to do. We don't get to decide the content of what we're doing. We can have different styles and methods as far as the delivery, but the delivery and the words have to be the content that Jesus gave that is everlasting because that content is relevant all the way to the end of the age.
And so when you hear something on the news that contradicts that, or you read something in a book, Christian book, that contradicts that, it is not true. The second thing I wanted to bring out is that Jesus gives His authoritative presence with those who are doing that. Look at what He says. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am what? I am with you. I don't leave a gathered group of disciples that are giving themselves to this purpose. That is the making and growth of disciples. My authoritative presence is with them. And sometimes we talk about, oh, we just we want the presence of the Lord when He's told us how to have His presence. He has promised that He is with us when we are doing this. Making disciples and then the gathered disciples to grow them into the grace of knowledge. Now when you're talking about this commission, it's the 11 apostles that are there. One of those men would have been Peter. Right? Okay, let's go over to 2 Peter, last chapter in that book, and let's see what he says. 2 Peter, chapter 3. You go all the way to the end of that chapter, and I want to read the last two verses. Now, the whole book is about this, but I'm only going to read the last two verses. He says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. What does this apostle say to these churches and disciples that he's writing this letter to? Here's the command. Grow. Well, the only way they can grow is by what? Being taught and obeying it. Grow in the grace and knowledge. It's not just grow in knowledge. Grow in grace. That is God working in us combined with the knowledge, the grace and knowledge, and the subject is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Christ and His divine presence walks with a church and with a people who obey this. They don't come to church thinking, I know it all. Now, of course, you'll know more the more mature you are. They come to church to learn. They come to listen. They come to engraft. They come for the Holy Spirit to use the divine promises. Remember Peter says this, chapter 1, 2 Peter. The precious and wonderful promises by which we are partakers of the divine essence. 
This is what Peter's exhorting them to do. He's essentially exhorting them to obey the last part of the commission as a gathered church. And do you know what happens if a church doesn't do that? Second Peter 3 verse 17 comes into play. You are carried away by the error of unprincipled men. And of course the context of those men is probably men within the church. And folks, one of the issues that we're having today is that God's people are not giving themselves and their churches are not giving themselves to the growth and the grace and knowledge of our Lord and we're just being driven around with every wind of doctrine everywhere. And they fall from their own steadfastness. It's really sad. So number one from this passage that the content, all that Christ has commanded us is everlasting. If this was the year 4023, His content would still be applicable and relevant and should still be taught in the church. Secondly, Jesus' authoritative presence is with the making and growth of disciples. He walks with the church and with the people who does that. And then thirdly, and this is where I pick up on the seed thought that I got from the commentary here by Dr. D.A. Carson. He writes this, and this is a little overlap with what we've already said, but he said, there will be no generation where Jesus' teaching is Needless. Now the word needless means not necessary. There are professing people who kind of take their Bible as take it or leave it. They're more interested in picking up on the latest self-help books and looking to man and trying to figure this out and trying to figure that out. And they may not say this, but as far as their life practice is concerned, they really see the Bible as needless. Now you could argue that maybe these people don't even know the Lord, and that may be true. But certainly not all would be true. So there is no generation where Jesus' teaching is needless, where it's unnecessary. The second thing he said is this, there's no generation where Jesus' teaching is outdated. The word outdated refers to being obsolete. We treat things today like we treat our phones, our smartphones. Every year, two years, three years, or four, the phone that we have is outdated. And we got to get a what? You got to get another one. But that's not true with Jesus' teaching. 
His teaching will never be obsolete. It's always relevant, always applicable, always living. And you remember what Jesus said in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. So there's no generation where Jesus' teaching is needless. There's no generation where Jesus' teaching is outdated. There's no generation where Jesus' teaching is untrue. Now what he means by that is that Jesus' teaching is not the reality of things. People can look in their Bibles and they read things. They read things like, Jesus is a requirement for a happy home. I say, well, that's outdated. That's not really true in our generation. If the Apostle Paul or if Jesus had walked among us, he wouldn't have said that. He wouldn't have said that women can't be pastors because that's not the reality of the day. No, it's his word that is the reality. This is the false reality of the world. This is the true reality. If you don't like Jesus' content and His authoritative teaching, if I could be so bold, you will not like heaven. (laughs) Because that is how it will be structured. So there's no generation where Jesus' teaching is needless, outdated, untrue, and lastly, superseded. Where do we find Jesus' teaching? In our Bible. No new revelation is going to supersede it. What's in your Bible will never be replaced. It's not that I need new revelation or somebody saying, thus saith the Lord to me, or science has come up with something that proves the Bible's wrong, or some kind of health thing comes in and contradicts with the Bible, and so this works, and so I'm going with this. Jesus' authoritative teaching, that content will never, ever need replacing. Never. And folks, I can't tell you how encouraging that is because when you combine all that I've said tonight, you can walk away and say, He's our rock. This is a rock. (laughs) And I can put my feet on it. And the waves aren't going to wash it away. And my house isn't going to be destroyed if I build it on on the rock. It is everlasting. It is the content of which the church is to be living and living out and teaching. And of course, in the context of the commission, Matthew's actually talking about all the previous things he's written in this book. And of course, we know it got extended because we have Paul and John and all that, but the canon's done. 
It's amazing how the church today loves to run after fads. Several um, days ago, it might be a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week and a half ago, I was rummaging around on my hard drive looking for something. And a title of a message caught my eye. <clears throat> and on my computer I have sermons, I call it expository sermons, and then I have expository topics. And, and the topics, I have topics and tons of sermons in there. And then under expository preaching, I have books. And I have all the, all the sermons with the dates and everything. On, we've gone through all these books. And one of the sermons caught my attention. And I opened it up and I started reading the introduction. <laughs> and I couldn't stop reading it. <clears throat> and I want to share this with you. The year is 1945. The location is England. You know that Spurgeon had just preached, I forget the year he died, but it was close to the end of the 1800s, 1890 something, somewhere around there, if I'm remembering correctly. So we're only we're only we're not even half a generation away from the death of Spurgeon. All the all the work that the Holy Spirit did in England. This is 1945. The person giving this is D. Martin Lloyd Jones. D. Martin Lloyd Jones was some have called him the greatest expositor since. Uh, the greatest, latest Puritan expositor. And in this message, he gives four trends in England in 1945. I want to read them to you, and then I want to read you verbatim Lloyd-Jones's comment about this. In 1945, Lloyd-Jones describes what he calls the final days of England. And of course, is the gospel in England today? Basically, no. Trend number one. In 1945, there was a trend towards debate on forms of worship. There was a move within the churches to have <clears throat> to allow the congregation to have more of a part in input in services. And preaching was being marginalized for co-participation between the preaching and the congregation. So they were arguing over forms of worship. Second trend, 1945 in England. A trend toward gatherings outside of the church in order to discuss practical matters they were trying to show that Christianity has something to say on the issues of the day, of the home, of education, of social life, of morality, and of people's individual lives. This was a move from inside the church to outside the church, 1945. Third trend, <clears throat> trend towards free discussion on religious topics. The trend in that day is that the pastor was not a man of God proclaiming the message of the text 
but he was a moderator in order to encourage free thought and equal opinion on various biblical topics. And it sounds a lot like today. And within preachers, Lloyd-Jones said, the trend among preachers involved topics on how to increase their attendance, how to uphold morality in the community, how to influence the community. The trend among preachers were patriotic concerns and political concerns. That's almost, you, you could almost say that about today in America. This was in England, 1945. You know where England is today. This was Lloyd-Jones' response, and I'm quoting him. It's a little extended, but perhaps if I preached it, you might listen to it. <laughs> Lloyd-Jones in 1945 said, there is no need to say that all these matters, what I just gave to you, all these matters issue from religion. But there is a need to pronounce clearly and definitively that this is not the main aim of the Christian religion. This religion's main aim is to reunite men with God, to convict them of sin, and to lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ as their only Savior. The aim is not to create a church of great numbers, but a people who know God and who are in Christ. The aim is not to produce good men, but to create new men, not to improve society as such, but to deal with individual men. Nothing stands out more clearly in the New Testament than the perpetual contrast between morality and spiritual life. Without the life that is in Christ Jesus, everything else is filth and loss. And to know Him properly is the only target which we should have before us. He basically, in a nutshell, preached the commission. <laughs> Folks, our nation's in trouble. And it's in trouble because our churches do not know God. Our churches are in trouble because the pastors of those churches do not know God. I'm not saying they're all lost. I'm just saying they don't know Him. They don't know their Bible and they're not giving it to their people. They're not teaching them to observe all that Christ commanded. They're debating forms of worship. They're arguing over this and over that. Preaching is 15 minutes, music is an hour. The trend is not meeting together as a church, but to meet outside the church so that we could co-participate with things and talk about things that are relevant to people's lives. There's nothing more relevant than Jesus' teaching. 
And they certainly don't want a pastor who is filled with the Spirit of God and the Word of God to come and say, thus says the Lord. And so what we have here is this, that our churches are decreasing, so we're having discussions about how to increase attendance. And we're talking about the political concerns of our nation. I don't want to marginalize that, but it's nothing compared to the commission. We're concerned about people today, immoral, decencies going down. But folks, we don't need more moral people. We need new people. And if they're new people, then everything will eventually be set right. And we know the person who can set it right. And that is Christ Jesus Himself. And so I just want to encourage you with this because as I was thinking through this, it just hit me just how relevant this is and how up-to-date it is. Because our toys have changed, but people haven't. (laughs) And we're not dealing with toys, we're dealing with people. And we need to pray that not only the Lord's divine presence will be with us, but that the words and content of His teaching that we give to others as we go purposefully to try to make disciples will be heard and listened to for the glory of God. Let's go to our Lord in prayer.